Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. So I have to say that I'm slightly embarrassed that it's taken me this long to get to this podcast. I have been uh, so lighting centric that I, I've, I've reached out to rock and roll LDs, technicians, designers. I've reached out to video programmers, architectural lighting, corporate lighting, Broadway, a little bit of everything, you know, uh, even regional theater. I have to admit that I, I had a blind side and I did not, I completely missed it. I didn't even start to think about the people sitting in the booth right next to us, which is the the laser programmers, the laser uh, technicians, the laser uh, manufacturers, representatives. And and I've kind of a little egg on my face that I've completely missed this. And uh, somebody reached out to me from the audience and said, Hey, uh, you should really talk to some laser people and see how that's going. Because if you think lighting's having a rough go right now, lasers have a completely unique experience of our isolation period. And I'm today's the day that we're finally going to kind of hear from the laser. Please welcome Justin Perry. He is a partner and chief operating officer at Pangolin, Kavant, and Unity Lasers. Thank you so much for joining me, Justin. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks as well, Chris, for uh, for having us on and for organizing the podcast. And uh, and thanks for continuing to put these episodes out. I think a lot of people in the community really enjoy them. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening. I don't know a better way to spend my time. I'm, I'm super bored at home. I love hanging out with my family and I, and I cherish all the, the moments that, that the, the isolation period has given me, but I, I miss all of my friends and making new friends and being out on the road. And I, this is my little lifeline here. Yeah. Yeah. I can certainly relate to the feeling. We feel very much the same way. These would be so much better in the back lounge of a bus rolling down highway five somewhere, but here we are staring at our little screens in our isolation cubicles, you know, we worked so hard to avoid cubicles and now here we are. And now we're back in one. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, <laughs> certainly can relate. We're eager to get back out there as well. Something that I've been concerned about and uh, I'm, I think that you might be able to commiserate a little bit with me, but you know, we're in uncharted territory with our shutdown we're starting to see some lights at the end of the tunnel, which is really great for all my friends and myself. And I really feel like there's going to be some momentum starting to generate. However, I'm also a pragmatist in the fact that I realize that as soon as live events return, you know, sales of moving lights and lasers aren't going to return for even another six to seven months after that. Mm-hmm. So how are you how are you dealing? Yeah, it's a great question and um, I mean I think across the industry manufacturers definitely got hit hard by that pandemic of of all the things we could have planned for you know I, I don't think a lot of us had planned for for what transpired to actually take place. but um, you know try, trying to look at the positive on things we did see some unique trends um, emerge and, and starting to emerge as a result of uh, of the way things went down. One of them, at least from a laser perspective, was we started to see the technology used in some really novel use cases. Um, some applications that, that have always been done with lasers, but never really done on a large scale. And they really started to take off. One big one was the use of lasers for digital signage. So you think projected messages of hope, projected advertisements, or projected text graphics or logos. This has always been possible with a laser, but never really um, never really at the forefront of what the technology can do. You know, a lot of times people think laser, they think aerial beam shows and liquid skies. 
and things like that. So, so graphics kind of always took a second seat to that. But, you know, in the pandemic world where people couldn't get together, a lot of companies, a, a lot of clients did want to broadcast out a message of hope or a message of positivity. So we started to see a, a, a surge in the use of lasers for that type of, uh, of application. And we thought it was great. I mean, it was a, it was a nice way for, for companies or agencies to just to get a message or an idea or broadcast something out to a large number of people when you can't have all those people together. So that was, that was certainly a surprise to see. We didn't really expect that to take off the way that it did. Uh, thankfully, it was one of the segments that, uh, that kind of held things over for, for us in the laser community. So that, that was really cool to see. And then um, there were a few other interesting trends that emerged. Another one being the use of lasers for architectural lighting. You know, you know, and historically, laser mapping has always been kind of um, a bespoke and novel effect with lasers, where we're we're kind of outlining the the structure of a building with laser light, and we can apply some pretty cool and dynamic effects to that. And that really started to increase in popularity as well as certain architectural buildings or establishments just wanted to highlight the structure in, in a little bit of a novel or or um, or neat way. Recently. To give an example, in um, Atlanta, they had the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, beautiful, you know, beautiful architectural building, really, really neat, neat design. Their their local soccer club was released in New Jersey and wanted to, to think about a novel way of highlighting the building. So we had a client um, go down there and projection map with lasers all across the stadium and then project this lo- this new logo design of theirs on the side of the building. And so it was just a really cool cool example of how lasers are being used in some novel use cases that, that, that really weren't the, the primary driving factor for them um, prior to this. And then the third thing that we're seeing is um, what we would call uh, landmark lighting. So um, a lot of clients reached out like, hey, we want, to, we want to highlight a cause or we want to bring attention to this area of the city or this area of the landscape, what have you. And um, laser is a great tool you know, especially as you get into the higher wattage fixtures that can be seen for, for in some cases, miles away. And so that was another, um, another application and use case for lasers that really kind of helped us weather the storm. So, I mean, obviously sales, not what they were in, um, prior to the, the COVID-19 situation, but certainly some positive trends for us in the laser industry that, um, that kind of helped us weather the storm and make it through. And then what we're also starting to see is a, is a big resurgence of shows specifically in uh, Asia and Asia Pacific. They've seemed to come back pretty quick from the pandemic. We've seen events taking place over there with lasers being used in quantities that um, would really amaze a, a lot of us over here. Uh, I'm talking hundreds of laser fixtures on a single stage or a single show or, um, or a single event. And, uh, and this is kind of becoming commonplace over there. So that's definitely been a, a trend that we've seen that, um, that's very exciting to us. It, they're, they're kind of grabbing lasers you know, by the helm and really deploying them in a, in a much greater and larger fashion. I think part of it has to do with, with safety and things like that in different parts of the world. Different regulations um, might make it harder to use lasers in some places than others. But uh, by and large, Asia and Asia Pacific definitely, um, definitely roaring ahead. And um, that was a really, uh, a really good sign for us as manufacturers, um, you know, to, to see that there was definitely still some light in the tunnel over in that uh, specific area of the market. That is exciting. Those are some really clever pivots. I, that makes me excited to hear. Basically, what you guys did was you took a powerful technology that was super impressive indoors and then even uh, improved upon it to take it outdoors where all the entertainment is now. Yeah. 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 There was a lot of engineering that went into um, some of the technology. We um, big, big shout out to some of the guys on our team um, guy named Victor Dubek. He's a PhD with laser optics and with all that free time on his hand, he really came up with some new ways of combining laser sources uh, for use in large-scale outdoor settings to um, to really make the beam razor sharp and visible from from very long distances. So, um, you know, it was it was uh, nobody ever wants to see something like this happen, um, but try to focus on the positive and definitely seeing some novel use cases for lasers and seeing 
the technology evolved. I mean, it's been, you know, from that perspective, it was um, a silver lining, I would say. So one of the things that you mentioned that has progressed by leaps and bounds is the graphic abilities of lasers. Uh, I have only witnessed lasers from the, you know, predominantly from the stage. And now I'm seeing shows where lasers are out at front of house doing more projection and graphics and doing, uh, and logos. Is that because the technology is better? Or is that because people are just getting more creative with the lasers? I, you know, I think it's a combination of both. Graphics have kind of always been there. Um, it's always been something that can be done with a laser. Obviously, we have an XY scanning system inside the projector um, that allows us to do this, but they never really surged in popularity. Um, and I think a lot of people had, had always felt, you know, laser graphics can sometimes look a little cartoonish or, or things like that. See, I didn't, you know, I never really saw them going really mainstream outside of things like theme parks and stuff like that. But um, with with the COVID-19 situation, it, people, a lot of clients were like, well, how do I, I want to put this message up in a, in a really big area and a big way. I don't want to pay for a billboard, you know, because it's only going to be done for an evening or two, like what, you know, what could I do to do this and, and what's going to catch people's attention. And you kind of boil down to, okay, I could use, um, you know, I could use a, a high lumen video projector or, Oh, the, there's this laser stuff. And what's fascinating about laser. Um, I think a lot, everyone in the lighting industry can, can kind of agree. It's got that speckle and sparkle to it. I mean, it just grabs your eye. You know, there's just something inherently captivating about laser light that just, it grabs attention. And when, um, when people started to see, you know, an advertisement or a message of hope or any sort of graphical content projected, it, it grew a lot of attention. So I think that's, that's one, one facet that helped to, to see the use of uh, what I like to call digital signage with lasers being used and deployed a bit more. And another thing that was, was pretty cool was um, what we call abstract uh, laser content. So, um, I mean, it really just that very obscure abstract shapes that have different oscillating effects applied to them kind of look a little trippy, a little, you know, a little far out there, but they're awesome and just so captivating to look at. And um, we started to see these deployed at certain festivals and things like that. And we've got a lot of tools in the software um, that, that we've added recently that make it even easier to create abstract content. So I think you're starting to see that deployed a lot more at not only um, festivals, but you start to see it at some tours and things like that. Howard Ungerleiter being a you know amazing guy in the industry, he deployed some some looks like this for the the tool tour that went out um, prior to the pandemic. So I do think as artists become more comfortable with the technology and the tools and the software, and, and they start to see like you know hey we this isn't so cartoony like we we could actually do some pretty cool stuff with laser graphics, I, I do hope, and I do think that we'll see that deployed a little bit more in the future as well. Yeah, we have to be completely honest. When we, when lasers first came out and it was like the Pink Floyd laser shows, <laughs> yeah. they were kind of cartoony, yep. but they, it was the first time we'd ever seen anything like that. And it was, the cartooniness wasn't a distraction until we'd seen, you know, a few laser shows. And then we got like, oh, okay, that's kind of cartoony. And so then we, I feel like, like we from the cartoons to the beams and then we we rediscovered the beams and now the the cartoony factor is actually starting to go away they're actually becoming so perfect you know the the the, the rough edges are kind of gone yeah yeah it, it you know you'd be able to use multiple colors in the same image it's very cool now it, it, it really is. There's um, there's a couple driving factors behind that. One, so the XY scanners that are used in, a, in lasers, this is a technology that was, was primarily developed for industrial laser applications um, with the real heart and soul of that called a galvanometer developed in the late 1970s. And that technology really didn't evolve at all up until around 2012, 2013. When uh, the founder, the founder of Pangolin, William Benner, he he uh, he's got forty eight patents on optical scanning technology. He's been he's been messing with Galvos literally since he was a kid. He actually competed in the technical Olympics when he was sixteen years old, 
representing the U.S. and won uh, and, and won that. He, he was sent over to Germany by Ronald Reagan and he won the gold medal for that. So he's been experimenting with this technology for a long time. And he, he found um, one of the limitations that, that really hindered graphical content was that as a Galvo moves, uh, it heats up. It gets really, really, really hot. And as it heats up, this begins to affect its performance, which is why you start to see some of this distortion in projected laser graphics. So uh, around 2013, 14, he started doing a lot of experimentation. And then around 2015 and 16, he, um, he developed a, a company called ScannerMax that makes um, galvanometer-based optical scannings for laser entertainment, but also for military, uh, industrial, and, and 3D printing and other applications. And so those are starting to get integrated uh, industry-wide in, in laser projectors. And it's, I mean, it's like taking something from 720 up to 4K, you, you know, if I was to use a comparative analogy. Uh, it's really increased the resolution that can be achieved with lasers from a graphical standpoint, while at the same time allowing you to project at a much wider scan angle. Um, so that has certainly been a, a big factor that helped um, with, with a resurgence in, in graphical content and it looking better. And then we also, um, so in the video world, you've, uh, it's always been very commonplace to take two video projectors and combine the image into one singular, uh, singular image. And you know, the person viewing the show would never know the difference. Um, and that, that was always something that we strived to achieve with lasers, but, but had struggled too. There's, there's a lot of um, you know, things under the hood that you gotta get right in order to make that look good. Um, so our programming team, they, they created a tool called a distributed scan. So in short, basically I could take a projected graphical laser image could be taxed, you know, anything your, your, your mind could imagine. And I could break that up over two, three, four, five, six, ten 10 laser projectors. Not only gets the resolution up by a, a monumental factor, it also increases that uh, the brightness of the image and that sparkle, that sparkle look that people really love from lasers. Cause it's just, you have a lot of power concentrated in a smaller area. So I, I think those were also um, really big tools that helped drive the use of that sort of content forward in the industry. So it, it has been pretty cool. I, I personally never was a big fan of, of the graphics. I always, on a personal level, gravitated towards the, the, the aerial beam effects. But when I start to see what some of the creative minds in our industry do uh, with these tools, I mean, a lot of times it's captivating. It really can be quite captivating. So it's exciting. Wow. Those are the stories I love to hear in our industry. The people that could be working for NASA or the military or solving medical uh, emergencies, they come into our industry and they're like, ooh, look at all these pretty colors. Like, what can we do and how can we make these slightly cooler graphics even trippier? You know? Yep. Absolutely. That's just the draw of our industry. People are just like, oh, yeah, we could send some uh, rockets to space, but also make a bunch of pretty lines in the sky. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yep. You know, why, why, waste, uh, why waste an experience on, on the military when we could delight tens of thousands of, of tripping uh, EDC goers, you know? No, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I certainly see much the same. Um, <laughs> across the lighting industry, just a lot of brilliant minds that have a passion for just have a passion for making another person's day better. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the beautiful things about the industry that, uh, that we can all relate to lasers for love, not for war. That's uh, where you belong. <laughs> I could swear that's been projected somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is so much technology going into such a tiny package when I remember lasers when I was in high school, I remember this giant, liquid, cooled, cryogenic-looking uh, time machine beast of a fixture. And now you can get 10 lasers on a truss, and it, it's really not as big a deal. Is that all part of the same progression? Yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a great point, and it's a great observation. The, the technology has, uh, has evolved in... Um, I'd venture to even word, use the word an exponential sense. So we, uh, the, the size of a laser now has just come down dramatically. I, I mean, it in many cases, smaller than even a, a normal moving moving headlight now. 
part of that's due to the type of laser sources that are being used now. So, you know, years ago you had uh, gas powered lasers, you had water cooled lasers, you know, they required three phase power and, and took a, a plumber, an electrician, and a, you know, a, a guy who could write code to get the thing operational. That, that's really completely gone now. The industry moved to a source called DPSS, and that helped get the overall size and package of a laser down. And then from there, we, we moved into uh, direct, what a lot of people refer to as direct diode. So we can just stuff a monumental amount of laser power into a relatively small housing uh, and it doesn't require that much cooling to, to, to keep things uh, to keep things operational. So just the deployment of lasers, the the physical size of them, all of that has come down. And then uh, obviously a huge driving factor was cost. The cost of a laser, you know, let's go back to the early 2000s. You know, you might be in the tens of thousands of dollars for a relatively low wattage fixture, something in the neighborhood of maybe five to 10 watts. And it, it cost a small fortune. Now you're able to access this sort of power at, at a much, a much, much, much lower price point. Um, so you're starting to see lasers deployed uh, in a much greater use case. I'll, I'll, I'll refer to um, great, great friends of ours, the guys at ER Productions. So out at LDI a few years ago, you may have saw the, the, they won the Guinness Book for World's Largest Laser Show. That was 300 projectors that they had on a single stage which for us as laser people is, is just kind of jaw dropping. And recently, just within the last couple of weeks, they were in, uh, I want to say it was Saudi Arabia and they did a show. I want to, there was a, a, an order of hundred lasers being used at, uh, at this single event. And, and it's not just them. I mean, there's a lot of uh, production and special effects companies that are starting, starting to realize just like you would with a moving head, like, man, if I have a lot of these lasers on a single rack and I can control them, I can just do some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. So the technology has, I mean, it's just grown at such a fast and rapid rate. I think this is one of the reasons we started to see lasers, you know, not being so much of the little brother anymore, but kind of being a main staple at, uh, at, at larger productions and events and, and things like that. So it's, it's been pretty cool to see that evolve. That's cool. I would imagine the more often you can get people out of the, the production, like require a plumber anymore. And when you don't require a, uh, a writer, the price comes down, but you still need the programmer. Are you guys starting to m migrate towards including the programmer in the lighting or is, do you think there will always be a lighting, a laser programmer? That's a great question. We, we get asked this um, all the time. So I'll kind of give a little bit of the, like the history of how, of how we la laser guys have evolved. And I'll kind of speak from the um, from the mindset of our of our our program, our chief software architect. His name's Alexei Sinitsin, and he's always like Justin. Um, and forgive my language here. We've always been the bastards. Um, <laughs> you know, he's like, we want the lasers to do this, and we want to control the lasers like this, and we want the laser to do that, and I want to control it like this, and we want the laser to do this, and I want to control it like that. So, uh, Alexei created. Um, like his, his philosophy is I'm going to allow everybody to control the laser, however they want to do it. And it took him the better part of, uh, you know, 15 years now, he's been, he's been working on the, the, the primary source code and programs that allow this, us to do this. So we're always going to have, um, just cause we came there, we're always going to have the workflow where you have a PC, you've got software, you can create your effects and you can stream out to the laser in real time and control your show. That this is the classic laser setup. It's been there since the beginning. That's that'll always be there. But uh, we've also realized like lighting designers do want to take control of the projectors as well, and they have a different workflow and a different philosophy behind controlling things. Uh, and we we realized we needed to cater to that as well. So we developed a um, a media server that gets built inside of the laser called FB4. Uh, it supports all your major lighting protocols, and it's got um, it's got a, a, a immense amount of let's call them static gobos already on the on the device itself, which you as a lighting designer can then build out and control directly from your console. No PC, no software. You don't got to program anything. You can literally plug into the back of the fixture over DMX or Artnet, and you are up and running 
You don't need to do anything. And the content is beautiful. A lot of the shows that you start, you, you've seen maybe in the last few years at, uh, you know, EDC type shows, uh, Coachella's, Ultra's, some major tours that were out there, they were controlled exactly like that. So we, we definitely spent a lot of time to try to build up the, build out the tool sets um, that would allow lighting designers to take control of the lasers when they want to and run in a workflow that made sense to them. And we even went as far as reaching out to, to some LDs throughout the industry, brought them into our shop. What do you like? What do you don't like? What would you change? How do you want this to work? And, um, and so that really helped us evolve in a way that we could cater to, to, that, um, to that segment as well. Without getting too technical, we, we then went on to build to what we call bridge the gap. So the software that's, that's laser is a little bit different than a normal moving headlight. Um, it, it, there's a lot of inherent principles of a laser that are, that are, ju that are just different from, from a moving head. And so um, the software, because it was built out from the ground up to, to control a laser, it's, it's an immensely powerful tool. Um, but we realize not everybody wants to use software. So, so we wanted to, the thing with normal DMX and, and um, ArtNet control of lasers is it was limiting. It's limiting. You know, you've got some very basic effects that people would do, but you, you would start to begin like, man, I feel like I'm seeing the, shape, the same show over and over and over again. You know, maybe the colors were a little bit different, but the, the shapes, the effects, it's the same stuff. Like, it, 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 there was a limitation to the creative freedom that a lighting designer could have when solely operating in that workflow. So we kind of looked at other industries. We looked at, you know, video. We looked at guys controlling LED screens. We looked at, you know, classic lighting designer approach. And so we, we created what we call the DMX and ArtNet server, which allows a lighting designer to control Beyond's effect engine, but directly from the console of his choice. So it kind of allows you the best of both worlds. You can access all the creative freedom that software will allow you to do. I mean, if you can, you could build out just a truly stunning, entirely unique show uh, but you, you can do that from the comfort of your of your own console. And um, and so that's that's kind of where we where we refer to as bridging the gap between the lasers and lighting was creating this this engine within the software that would allow um, allow the two to marry together. And e even outside of that, we, we've built in tools into our workflows for that are specialized for architectural lighting. Now, some that are specialized for the digital signage, specialized for lighting designers. So I go back to that original point of now we're, we're pretty much at a place where no matter how you want to control the laser, um, you know, be it from a console, be it from software, be it from time code, be it from, you know, you want a completely automated system that runs itself. When we, inside of our projectors now, they have a, a clock. So you can build a show, save the show to the projector, set the day, date, and time on the laser, disconnect all control, the laser just needs power. And if you're in the United States, you need your e-stop connected and it'll run itself. It'll run itself. So it's like, no matter how you want to run your show now, we've got the tools to allow you to, to get there. So, but it took, um, it took us being the bastard of the industry for so many years to build, uh, to build that, those workflows out. So it was, uh, it was definitely a labor of love. And, um, but I, I'm proud to say we finally got there. That mindset is crucial right there. When I get behind the console, uh, the lighting console, I get so many interesting requests. Like, well, can you make it do this? Can you make it do that? Can you make it do this? Can you make it do that? And, you know, I'm lighting is pretty impressive, but it, I'm still fairly limited. Whereas when I would see the designers go to the laser programmer, they would ask, can you do this, this, this? Can you make it more of this? Can you, can you follow that? And almost... 98% of the time, the answer was yes. Like, yeah, we can do that. We can do there's Yes, we can do that. Yes, we have a way to make, yes, we can follow that flittery little butterfly with a yep. laser. Yes, we yep. can do that. Yep. You know, whereas my response would, you know, 75% be yes until they come up with, well, can you make purple? Like, no, I, you're not going <laughs> to believe this, but I can't make purple. I have infinite colors, but I can't do purple. And the laser guy's like, yeah, of course I can do purple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> 
it's, it's just amazing. Such a unique light source, though. It is. It really is. Um, laser is just. It's. It's a very. Uh, it's a very special light source, and um, we're very privileged to be able to. Um, and this little niche of lighting that that allows us to experiment and explore all, all the cool things it can do. So, it's pretty neat. All right. One of the places that lighting has been very fortunate to be able to adapt is going to film. You know, there's a, there's a lot more video going on than there is live concerts right now. Has have have lasers been able to make that transition as well? Could, do they do they read the same on on film as they do live? Uh, it, it's a great question, and um, I'm proud to say I think I think the use of lasers for television and film production it's grown astronomically. I think it's only going to go up. There's an effect that we can do with lasers that is truly mesmerizing. I, I'd encourage everybody listening to just go up on Google and, and type in um, Childish Gambino Saturday Night Live lasers and watch that video. And I've got to give credit where credit is due to a guy named uh, Adam LeBay from a company called Precision Lasers. He popularized this effect and really brought it mainstream. Uh, some would call him the wizard of the effect. But um, basically with laser banding, what we can do is we set the laser scan rate in conjunction with a camera shutter speed to create this banding effect. So it almost looks like light wraps a given position on a stage and you can, you'll see the beam, then it breaks, then you see the beam. And, and we all often get asked, how can you do that with light? Well, 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 the secret is you can only do it when, when laser is being filmed in a video in a video type setting. But um, this effect for television and film has exploded the use of lasers um, in those settings. Um, and it is really, really just absolutely mind boggling when you see how cool that looks on camera uh, and, and on film. So that's, that's an effect that, um, you, you design it in the software and then you play it back and you're, again, you're timing the laser scan rate with the camera shutter speed and just really popularize the use of lasers in, in TV settings. Uh, in addition to that, lasers do come across very good um, uh, on film and TV, just simply because of how impactful they are. And um, if, if the designer of the show, if the laser designer uses certain effects, you can really, that speckle from the laser still can come across on a, in a live or in a television type setting. So I think um, those are two main reasons why we've seen a, a large increase in the use of lasers in those types of things. And we're also seeing people now use lasers as spotlight lighting. So very simple effect. We, we project a cone down over a performer and we can track, we can even track that cone with their, with their walking path. We're, we're working with, um, with some tracking companies that, that make that technology that allows us to do this. So using lasers as like a spotlight device is also becoming very, very, uh, very popular. And that, that translates very well into uh, television and film production too. And, and then you just have, you know, those wild and abstract ideas where like, you know, somebody wants to make something look like Star Wars or, you know, I mean, what's going to do that better than a laser? Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I think, you know, this might sound a little funny, but like as uh, science fiction type stuff is, you know, increasingly popular and people are just looking for these abstract, wild and crazy effects to, to put on camera laser lasers kind of right there. It's kind of at the forefront of that. So we're definitely, um, we're pretty gung ho about the use of lasers on um, on television and film and things like that. And um, I certainly think a, a, as people are, are watching live events more and more and more from uh, from their screens, from mobile devices and stuff like that, you'll, you'll come across it even more. You'll come across it even more. I agree. I, I don't see what's keeping lasers out of the of every realm, including the the VR the augmented reality, the especially the extended reality settings where you just take something so small and just blow it up so much larger for the for the human eye and for the camera. And laser has the capability of ex of doing exactly that, taking that such a small little speck of information and, and amplifying it so much larger. Yeah, it's it's a pretty. Um, those are definitely some frontiers that I think. Um, everyone across the, the, the lighting industry is, is looking at. Um, 
We've worked a lot on the visualization protocols within our, um, within our systems. So we already are gonna integrate with most of your, uh, your common visualizers like WYSIWYG, Depends, Capture, um, all, all the major ones. And um, you know, people like Depends, I mean, they're, 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 um, these companies are really at the forefront of bridging that gap between AR, VR and XR with traditional lighting. So what we're, you know, kind of the position that we're taking is we're gonna make sure that our, our technologies, our software, our control hardware, our projectors, that they have the infrastructure ready to support that when, when those bridges begin to get built out. So it'll be interesting to see how that, um, those segments of our industry um, evolve over time. That is key. A lot of people really need to that pre-visualization. If, if you don't have the software ready for it, people will, they'll go to a different manufacturer if they, if they're, if they can pre-vis with that fixture, as opposed to yours, it's, it's really important now. There's so much more time being spent pre-visiting than there is on site because it just saves so much money. Oh, absolutely. We, um, we, we've taken a lot of, uh, a lot of strides in, in that area as well even going as far as pretty soon you'll, we'll have um, rental versions of the software. So like if you, if you just need to use the software to pre-vis for a, a small period of time, but you don't, maybe you can't afford to buy a full license or you don't want to invest the money at that time, you could, you'll be able to rent the software for a period of time that you see fit. And then um, th through doing that, you'll be able to pre-vis as well. So we're hoping through, um, through that workflow as well, it's going to help to get get more lighting designers around the world playing and, and visualizing with lasers too. So we'll, we'll um, we're pretty excited to see how that'll evolve. Also, one of the other things that I've noticed recently is maybe a decade ago, lasers were just the the stem on top of the cherry on top of the ice cream. Meaning, you know, you needed lighting, you needed sound. And then maybe video. And then if budget allowed, then you'd go with pyro. And then, and then finally, if the budget was extended far enough, then you could get lasers. I'm seeing lasers working their way down the priority list to, you know, we got to have, you know, especially when it comes to EDC, like you just need one light and video and lasers. And you really don't need, you can give up some of the lighting in place of lasers because lasers are so much more versatile now. Are you seeing that same trend? Yeah, def definitely we are. And I think the word that you used a second ago with versatile is, is, a, is a critical point right there. Um, I mean, if we, if we look at a laser projector, um, I, I kind of sometimes refer to it as uh, a better paintbrush. Um, and simply because it's gonna, it, it just allows you to do such a diverse and dynamic array of effects. Um, and as, as the ability to create with lasers becomes more widespread and people understand how the software works and how, um, how that, that artistic process, process works, uh, I think you're gonna see, see that evolve a lot more. Um, and then a couple other things are, are starting to take place that I think will only begin to accelerate that trend. Uh, one being, uh, and a primary one being safety. So um, very soon, um, hopefully, fingers crossed, if LDI continues to go through, we're, we're going to be deploying a technology that we call beam brush. So, you know, for, for years, people have wanted to audience scan in the United States and, and globally, for that matter, safely with lasers. Now, uh, technically speaking, you can do this in the United States now, but it is an arduous process to get the licenses, to get the variances. Uh, and to get set up to, to do that. And it's an ardu it's a, it's a pretty complex setup process. Um, so we've been, uh, Bill, again, going back to him as the founder, he's been working since 1992 on a technology called Beambrush and never had the time to get it done. Um, so over, over 2020 and over the, the pandemic period, he finalized this, uh, this technology, which was really like a baby to him. I mean, he, he poured his heart. We didn't see him for like two months. Like, where's Bill? Where's anybody seen Bill? And he emerges from the shadows with, and he's like, I finished it. I got it. I finally did it. Right. Um, so, so what this technology allows us to do is uh, we put an optical scanning system. You have your X and Y one. We put another one on a Z axis. And, um, and this allows us to increase and decrease the divergence of a laser beam in real time. 
simply meaning we can go from a razor sharp beam pro profile to a volumetric wash light instantaneously, instantaneously. And in doing so, if a designer wants to scan into the audience, they can increase that divergence to a safe level while it passes through the audience and then back to a razor sharp um, classic laser look as it comes over the audience and in real time. So prior to this, this has been accomplished with what we call a safety lens that increases divergence by a fixed amount into an audience area and not overhead. This allows you to do it in real time. So, so in, in a very real sense, we can make the laser operate like a normal um, moving head fixture. Now you're not going to have to, uh, you're not going to have the same creative challenges and setup challenges and programming challenges that you did prior with lasers when you wanted the audience scan. It's going to be a lot, a lot simpler. And I tell you, um, if you go to beambrush.com, you can see the videos. When you see that in real time, I, I, you know, I, I've been in this industry for nearly 20 years now. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. And I'm not um, a designer myself. Uh, you know, uh, I like to pretend to be one, but I am not the most artistic guy. And, and he, I mean, it's just spellbinding when you see what it looks like. Um, and it allows you us to create some effects that were never before possible with a laser. So because of that, I, I think people will start to see like, okay, I've got a budget of X. You know, I've got, I've, I've got this much mo money that I can allocate to lighting. What am I going to be able to do with fixture A? What am I going to be able to do with fixture B? What am I going to be able to do with fixture C? And, and when people start to realize, man, with, you know, fixture C being, being this laser, I can do, you know, you know, classic laser effects. I can do spots. I can do, now I can start to do so, some moving head style, style effects like this. I can audience scan. I, I can do graphics, text, and logos. Man, I get a lot of value. I'm getting a lot of value from this investment um, because it's you know it, it it can just accomplish such a diverse amount of effects from one from one head from one light. So I think that compound compounded with um, the popularity of lasers as a whole, we will definitely start to see them deployed um, in a much greater fashion. And then additionally, just making it easier to control lasers from a lighting designer's workflow, uh, making it easier to control 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200, 300, you know, like, like I was saying earlier, even up to like 800 lasers at a single event, it's now possible. You, you can do this. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't. Um, and so as that becomes more popularized as well, I, I, I really think lasers are poised to be a, a primary element at uh, at events and productions. Oh boy, that is scary. That's uh, that's enough uh, motivation for me to go learn more about lasers. That's for sure. <laughs> Along those same lines, are you seeing that we're actually, as lighting manufacturers, are you seeing that we're integrating more lasers? Do you see that a uh, Do you see that trend continuing? I'm thinking of like the Stelos right now. Yeah, I mean, big shout out to Clay Packy. I think what they did with that, it was it was incredibly innovative. Um, I think, you know, Osram being being um, parent com company of Clay Packy now certainly helped drive some of that some of that momentum forward. And um, I, I think you're seeing it not only in, in our in our lighting industry, but, um, you know, just across industry as a whole, um, the video projectors now using laser sources. I mean, even the headlights in, in automobiles now are, are moving towards laser sources. And, and I think it comes down to just an inherent, inherent principle. A laser is just a more efficient type of um, light source. It's, you know, it's just more efficient. Um, so as the technology around it evolves and expands, I, I certainly think industry-wide, you're going to start to see more integration, experimentation, an adaptation of, of lasers as a whole uh, across all different types of manufacturers. Yeah, we, we definitely agree there. I think that is going to be the future. Oh, how much farther we can take LED, but I know that laser is still surpassing the output that even LEDs can provide. Yeah. Yeah. The, the primary you know thing um, and one area where we spend a lot of time is just on the safety aspect of it. I mean, Safety needs to be, you know, first and foremost concern on everybody's mind when they're working with laser. And, um, and as we're getting, um, we're working on that across the laser industry, every, everybody's, um, everybody's re really doing, done a great job at putting safety um, at the forefront. So 
you know, as, as it becomes more commonplace and as the safety elements get, um, get ironed out, I'm just very, very hopeful that, um, that laser is going to become e even more of a main staple. Yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, there's so many avenues to explore there and so many attributes that are available to us that we, we really need to keep pushing forward there. Justin, we are almost out of time, but on a more personal note, I want to kind of check in on how, how you're doing. Like how, how are you still able to reach out to people that are looking for lasers during the isolation period? And coming from my own experience, like, you know, I, I represent a, a lighting manufacturer and, I, and I, all of my friends are in the industry and I have to reach out to them constantly saying, hey, how you doing? Making sure everybody's good. And sometimes I get people thinking that I have ulterior motives, like, oh, what are you trying are you reaching out to me trying to sell some lights right now? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, yes, and no at the same time. Please don't be <laughs> upset. You know, I, yes, I'm checking in on you. I want to make sure that you're in a good place. Yes, I have fixtures that are always available to you should you need them no, I'm not checking in on you just because I want to sell you fixtures. I'm, you're also my friend. You're, you know, we've been in the industry for 20 years together. How are you maintaining that relationship these days? I think it's a great question. I think it's uh, perhaps one of the most important questions as well. Um, at the end of the day, people buy people and um, relationships are, uh, are incredibly important. And we, um, we really made that a priority uh, internally here, here within our companies. So one of the first things we did right when the, when the, um, the pandemic was kind of become a thing, we sent wine to everybody. So we, uh, we're, we're big winos here and we're like, look, you're going to be sitting at home. Here's a bottle of wine. You, you know, just, we, we emailed bottles out to our entire database. It was a couple thousand bottles. Uh, and we figured out how to ship them around the world. And, um, and we just did that as kind of like a, hey, we're thinking about you. You're going to be at home. Have a have a glass of wine on us. That, then we kind of set up weekly uh, weekly check-ins. So uh, we have distributor meetings um, with our core distributors around the world on a monthly basis just to check in, see how they're doing, see how they're holding up both from a personal level and a business level. Because I, I think that this, uh, this pandemic, um, while it hit business pretty hard, it also hit people mentally pretty hard, you know, um, so just making sure that, you know, as a friend, like, how are you holding up, man? How, how's life? How's the family doing? How's the kids doing? Um, and just making a point to, uh, to be regular about that, to be regular in our communication, to be, you know, just make sure that we make a point to do this on a regular basis. And for, for our clients as a whole, we, we really tried to put out just a ton, a ton, a ton of content and an open discussion. So live streams where people could log on, ask questions in real time. We could do question and answer sessions. Uh, we put out a ton of those throughout the, the course of the pandemic, and we're continuing to do so um, just to make sure people know that we're here, we're listening, uh, we're still active, we want to hear from you, we want to know how you're doing. So um, just trying to create trying to create areas where we can all connect with, with our clients throughout the industry and get, give them access to us, you know, we, we focused on a lot of efforts to do that. Um, and then we, we continually just send out surveys to clients asking, you know, what they want from us, what we can do to help. Um, you know, I just, I think, I think the, it all boils down to just being regular, just being regular, um, regular communication, constant communication. And, um, and sometimes just surprise people. We, um, one of the things, you know, I'm pretty proud of this initiative, um, that we implore here, we just call it, you know, being a customer centric company. So let's say a client emails into the company and, and you can kind of discern from their email that they're frustrated or something's going on, right? So we set a budget uh, internally. We're like, if you see an opportunity to make a client's day better, make their day better. And, and here's what we as a company can afford to do to make this happen. So it, it gets down to even like going on Amazon and buying a client a box of chocolates because they in an email told you they had a bad day. And, and we've now got a process in place here in order to, um, to try to be a customer-centric company that, that is putting our relationship with the client first and the business aspect uh, of that second. And, um, and in doing this, I, I, I hope, I truly do hope that our clients feel it, that they see like we genuinely care about you as an individual because we know like it's, it's a core principle of the company that people buy people, people, relationships they genuinely do matter. And um, 
So we're trying to, you know, the pandemic kind of spurred this, but we're trying to nurture, uh, just nurture those relationships more, take a very personalized approach with our clients. So we, um, our email style and our email communication is very personalized. Me, even as a partner and chief operating officer, my personal cell phones and every email I send out and I encourage people to call it. And if I can't pick up, I, you know, I'll text you back like, hey, with my daughter right now or something, but just always being accessible to people, letting people know that we care and trying to, uh, trying to create initiatives that allow us to, uh, you know, to make people's day better. Well, well, lately stuff has been pretty tough. You know, those, those are the kind of uh, activities that we're trying to push on. So. It, it sounds like you and I both agree that the, the era of the hard sell is just on hiatus right now. There's, there's no reason to be pushing anything. It's, it's really a time to, to listen exactly. and, and, yeah. and just ask people what they need, not try and sell anybody on anything that they, they, that they don't need. Exactly. Yeah. Let the CRM system sleep for a while, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Very well put. Right on. Thank you so much for taking time. I, uh, I'm definitely going to brush up on my laser skills because I know that uh, it's, it's only going to be more integrated as we progress. There's going to be more and more lasers on shows and there, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of times where the the lighting is going to have to complement the lasers and not the other way around. Well, Chris, we, uh, we greatly appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to join you on the podcast. And again, um, you know, we, we love what you guys are doing over there. Love what you're doing with the podcast. It's, uh, it's been something myself and a lot of our team members enjoy. So, uh, hope you guys continue pushing forward with this and, uh, thank you very much for having us on. Thank you so much, Justin. I appreciate it. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. 